Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom Today on the show, we are celebrating the launch of our latest course, created by my dear friend, Ariel Martinez. The course is called Wild Mother's Medicine Chest, Herbal Remedies for the Whole Family. We have an inspiring conversation about Ariel's journey into plant allyship and how she awoke to plant medicine through her daughter's birth. Ariel is here to teach and inspire other matriarchs in how to work with the plants and take more responsibility for our family's health. You can go grab the course at freebirthsocietycourses.com slash wildmother. Enjoy the conversation. All right. Welcome to the show, Ariel. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So we have a fun and informational and inspiring episode today uh, because we are here to uh, to introduce Ariel to to this podcast, to the show, uh, to anyone in the community who doesn't know her yet, uh, because we are celebrating the launch of her uh, of her new course that is being sold through Free Birth Society. Uh, it's called the Wild Mother's Medicine Chest Plant Remedies for the whole family. So we are doing an introductory into family herbalism conversation today. Um, And I guess all I'll say before I pass it over to Arielle is um, that I want to name, because I'm sure so many of you listening can relate to this, that as someone who identifies as a wild mother, someone who has free birth, who is, you know, pretty, pretty all around fuck the system, I really have had a like an insecurity of where to start with my relationship to plants. And so I have watched Arielle through the years that we've been friends because we became mothers uh, right around the same time. I've watched her really step into this beautiful role in our community as one of the leaders of family herbalism. And she's... um yeah, she's really quick to to offer her beautiful knowledge that she has resourced through her own journey as a mother um, to our community. So that has really caught my eye and I've been really inspired by that uh, because I want to be more like that and and initiate more relationship with plants in my family as as 
um, yeah, methods of healing and just relationship, you know, healthy relationship. Um, and I don't know where to start. And so this is really exciting for me personally, because I really am the, <laughs> like the, the exact demographic that needs this course. And so I'm sure many of you, like I said, relate to that. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is um, Ariel's own re- relationship with being that person who didn't know where to start and then her own journey with it. And now this beautiful course has been birthed through her that helps women like us, um, yeah, be initiated into, into plant relationships. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I think that, so I have a daughter, she's almost three. I think she's six weeks or so younger than Sunier. And, um, this whole awakening started like with her birth for me, um, where I gave birth in the system. Um, and the moment my daughter was born, it just was so clear to me, like this roar through my body of like, I am the only one who is responsible, can be responsible for me and her. Like it's only me. So yeah, the moment that they placed my daughter on my chest after this, this experience, um, with me trying to navigate sovereignty during my pregnancy and birth, but being in the medical system and then ending up feeling completely betrayed. Um, you know, I was seeing a midwife, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and I'd been seeing a midwife here, um, a CNM with a really good reputation for like working with natural minded mothers. Um, and I think what, what happens a lot, you know, you get, oh yes, oh yes, totally. Yep. Everything's fine. Whatever you want. Yep. We'll make it happen. And then once you get, you know, 39, 40, 41 weeks, all of a sudden this relationship starts to change and there's this shift and you realize that you weren't really in control at all. And, um, I ended up being fear-mongered into an induction due to low amniotic water, which now we know that's kind of the new big baby, right? Because women are getting smarter and they know, hey, my body can birth whatever size baby it creates. But this concept of like, my body doesn't create enough water for my baby to survive is new. And um, so rather than having the support of a wise woman to sit down with me and be like, Hey, how's your stress? How much water are you drinking? Um, how are you feeling? Are you moving around a lot? Like, why don't we get you in bed for a while? Don't stress out, sip water, don't chug it. You know, um, it was more of a conversation that was like, well, if we don't induce you today, I'm going to have to transfer you to a high risk OB next time you come back and he's going to end up cutting this baby out of you. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take my chances with you, you know? Um, And ultimately that led to what we all know really well as the cascade of interventions resulting in an emergency C-section that was brought on by this system. But what's interesting about my C-section is that I had an umbilical cord prolapse, which is normally, we all know, like, an obstetrical emergency. That's something that, you know, people, a lot of people explore. 
um, when talking about emergencies in pregnancy and birth. But my, and usually when it happens in the hospital, it's because of artificial rupture of the water. And my water wasn't technically artificially ruptured. Nobody went in with a hook um, and broke my water sack because I went in the hospital thinking I was in total control and was very well prepared against that. Um, But I had a Foley balloon in my cervix. I had hands in my cervix. And I had a lot of interruptions and agitation Um, and, you know, within 10 minutes of that Foley balloon being removed, my water broke and that cord came out. And so it's really easy to see how it's such an indirect intervention that led to something so extreme. Um, it's not that indirect. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it. Yeah. Wait, so that was on the earlier side of your induction. Yeah. Um, Right. So fully balloon and then your water's open and the cord's there. And then do you go right, you go right to C-section? Um, so not, not yet, actually. Um, I actually stayed in bed on my hands and knees for probably like two to three hours. On until the, um, No, there's no Pitocin. I never had Pitocin. My body responded really well to the balloon, actually. And I think after, I think I was like nine centimeters by the time it came out. (laughs) So I was like having a baby. Like I literally was thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to have a baby in an hour to like everyone running in my room, get on your hands and knees. We're giving you all these things to stop your labor. Like this is, you know, Um, but at that point I wouldn't let anybody else check me anymore because I had just been checked and, um, So I was on my hands and knees. And when I look back, I mean, there were moments in that two to three hours where I really, like, I really was able to show my power in terms of like advocating for myself while being in this really gross situation. Um, Like they wanted to screw that stupid monitor into my baby's scalp, those internal monitors. <laughs> and I read, I had like totally forgot about it. And then I was reading on my birth records. It was like, patient states that she already consented to external monitoring and already consented to the shot to stop her label, but she will not consent to the internal monitoring. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so I talked to them how I talked to my three-year-old. Like, cool. <laughs> um, but so like that, like certain, you know, I was, when I look back on that, I really remember like going in and out of like that kind of like hazy labor land transition time headspace to like having to like pull everything in my being to like get these people to just stop touching me and leave me alone. Um, And ultimately, I don't know if my midwife, I don't know the role that she plays in this part of my story, if she had an inkling that my cord was prolapsed or not or if she was just fucking tired and wanted to go home. Um, But she was like, hey, listen, I have the anesthesiologist right outside your door. I think you need a C-section and you need an epidural. And she's like, it's good if you get it now, because otherwise you're going to go under general. And I was kind of like, oh, that wasn't like, that's, you told me you weren't ever going to say that, you know, like we discussed, you weren't allowed to say the E word, you know. Um, And she just looked at me and she's like, you're going to want it. I was like, okay. 
So well, of course you're going to want it if you're going into surgery. Well, yeah. But, but wait, like, so ha- I so didn't you didn't know. know about the cord prolapse yet? No, nobody knew. And when you think, I mean, obviously like water breaks, the monitor starts freaking out. Like my the only position that helped was being on my hands and knees with my butt in the air. You can kind of draw your own conclusions where like at some point you might start suspecting it, right? Um, so I don't know if she suspected it or not, but at this point we didn't know. So... I got the epidural and I think it was like my birth records. Like my daughter was literally born like 15 minutes later after the epidural was placed um, because she checked me and they cart and was like, yep, it's a prolapse. And they carted me off. Um, and I remember actually thinking as they're rolling me down the hall, cause they were saying like this epidural might not be kicked in in time. You might still have to go under general. And I remember just like wanting to disassociate so bad from the experience that I actually hoped that I would have to go under general. Sure. Like in, which is so bizarre because if I had like, how devastating would that have been to like wake up to that? But in the moment, all I could think of was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Like, please just put me to sleep so I can get out of it, you know? Um, (sighs) But so you know, 15 minutes later, um, you know, my daughter was born and they placed her on my chest. And I just felt this moment a what little while later when I really was able to feel connected that like just completely changed. Like it transformed this part of my body where like I have always been very like meek and had problems asserting myself and feeling like I was a burden when I needed something Mm. to realizing that like the only one who can protect myself is me. And now I have this beautiful, vulnerable, innocent child and I'm the only one who can be responsible for her well-being, who truly has her best interest in heart. And the transformation, I mean, it was instantaneous and like truly like, like I'm surprised I don't look different. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I just felt so different and I've carried it with me ever since then. Um, So obviously that, that led to me really, you know, I wasn't going to ever take my daughter back into the system that abused us. Right. Yeah. And this is what's, what's so interesting about, about, like the the crossroads of birth that can happen in either direction, right? Like that moment of fierce protection can come, does come in normal physiological undisturbed birth because that is the design, right? For for the maternal and paternal, you know, parents to to feel that 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 roar of of fierce protection, and it doesn't always come in birth trauma. It doesn't always come in surgical births. It doesn't always come, but it did for you. And and it does for for plenty of women, of course. And it's just kind of an interesting point in time, right? Where the birth experience can suppress that or can really lift it. And it's interesting or or solidify it. And it's interesting that it can happen out of trauma and I'm not even really saying that it was the trauma itself. It's also, 
it's both. It's the trauma itself because you on an intellectual level and a very spiritual level understand what was taken from you and that you can never allow that to happen again. But then it is also the true biological design coming through, right? It's like both. So I don't know, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely interesting. And that's something that I've, you know, navigated this whole time of like real, like we had a really easy breastfeeding relationship and like all of these things that um, really could have, been truly, truly sabotaged by our birth experience that actually wasn't because I was so protective of our space. Um, and yeah, I, I do truly believe now that like our birth story is a part of like our karmic, like healing that we have, that me and her are here in this world together in relationship now that we're here to do. Um, and that, that was like the initiator of that healing process for me and us and whatever soul, you know, soul ties we have. So shortly after my daughter was born, actually the whole first year of her life, um, she, she got sick really frequently. Um, her first cold was at three weeks old and it was obviously having a three week old newborn was pretty scary. Uh. Um, oh my God. Like I remember one morning waking up and she had like mucus coming out of like her nose and her mouth and she was like choking on it, you know? And I was oh. just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? Um, What'd you do? Just turned her, turned her over on my forearm and kind of like worked it out of her and like nursing like helps everything. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, every three to six weeks she was getting sick. Um, and you know, she wasn't in daycare, you know, my husband and I are both work for ourselves. So we were really able to kind of like find a really good balance between working and being able to stay at home. And, um, yeah, it just, she was just sick all the time. And so my, and at this point I was really creating like community here in this situation, like it, it was more of a hazing experience than it was a rite of passage or like an, an initiation because I didn't have that support that I needed. Um, and I was truly doing it alone. And when I would ask for support, it ranged between these two different um, paradigms where like my mainstream mom friends would be like, oh, don't be afraid to rotate through Tylenol and ibuprofen every four hours. You can't over-medicate them. Or we'll make sure she's getting her flu shot, you know. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Who are these people? <laughs> to like, or on the other side, my friends who were more like-minded with me were like, I don't know. My kids have never been sick. I've, I've never dealt with this before. I don't know how to deal with this. Um, so I found myself in this really unique place where my daughter needed support and I didn't have the tools to support her. And so... And are you like running to the pediatrician? Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, I, I, I am lucky, fortunate enough that I do have a relationship with a woman who is a pediatrician in our town, um, that I have real, like I've texted her a few times here and there just to like get a feel like long, uh, this is a whole nother story to like when my daughter got a concussion, you know, she really helped me navigate the emergency room situation, mm, but, um, nice. but no, 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 I wouldn't. I was very clear on the fact that like the pediatrician didn't have anything to offer me beyond like a prescription that I wasn't willing to give to my daughter. So, um, 
I just kind of started doing, looking for support in the ways that seemed safe and felt good to me. And my mom had always been big on natural remedies when we were young. And so it kind of just felt really natural for me to like go back to that. And I think one of the biggest shifts for me where I felt really like I felt like I had a big shift in using plant medicine with my daughter being ill and like feeling like just feeling really coming out on top of everything was I think my daughter was about eight or nine months old and she had an ear infection and I I knew it was an ear infection right away. Like nobody had to tell me I didn't need to go to the doctor and get her ears checked. Like it was very clear. Um, And I don't remember how I got the, how I ended up getting a hold of this, but I had some garlic mole and ear oil um, and I put it in her ear and I wasn't really, I'd never used it before. I wasn't really sure if it was going to work, but I figured like, Hey, like this is what I, you know, this is what we're here for. Um, and if it doesn't work, then we'll just try something else. And it worked like so fast, like instantly, like one dropper in her ear and she just stopped crying and her ears were fine. You know what I mean? Like she didn't, you know, I gave her like a drop in the morning and a drop at night for like a few days. And then after a few days, I was like, she obviously doesn't have the ear infection anymore. <laughs> you know? Wow. So like, um, but I, I did, this was, this was when I was still kind of still struggling on that, like little line between like how much, you know, I had a lot of friends and clients and stuff who were pregnant along the same side as me. And, you know, they were getting air, their children were getting air infections and they were getting antibiotics. And so to kind of like do that and then like share it and be on the end of that, like feedback of like you withheld treatment from your daughter. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I just treated her in a way that felt good to me. Um, But I was able to kind of like confidently choose that and stay confident and firm in my decisions um, and it worked and it worked and it was a really pivotal point for me realizing that like, Hey, I'm a healer. Like I can heal. I can use these plants. They're out there for all of us. This is an ally for me. This is a tool in my toolbox. Mm. Like that was when I started to feel confident using the title healer and feeling really called in that direction to like explore more. Um, and yeah, ever since then, it's just, it's like a tidal wave. It's nonstop, you know, the plants just keep finding me and oh, it's, it's, an, it's been an incredible journey. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So your daughter really comes in to, to open these, these gates for you of holistic healing and plant allyship, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. and. Um, you know, before this point, I hadn't really considered, I think, you know, we always kind of like know in the back of our minds, but when you really like consider the plant, the fact that like plants are alive and that concept of like animism where like everything's like a live, vibrant being, um, and they're there to communicate with you is it was just, it's so not within my personality to like feel that and explore that. But like, 
I would be just doing something and I get this little like thought in my head, like, oh, you need to come find motherwort and yarrow. And this is why. And I'd be like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, and then I'd like find out later, like, you know, certain formula. And then I'd find out later, like this formula is like a really commonly used formula for certain, you know, whatever I had had that download about, but like it had never been introduced into my consciousness. It just like, Mm -hmm. you know, the plants put it there, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that, (laughs) well, that that's, you know, that that's what the, shamans talk about in the Amazon, you know, that the, the plants talk to them and they tell them what to combine and where to find it. And, and you, you create one, uh, elixir or potion and you drink that. And then the plants tell you through that elixir where to find another one, you know, and it's, there's, there's tons of books on this of, of, (laughs) of, you know, ancient, uh, what's the right word? Ancient knowledge from the plants yeah just speaking to them and when i first heard that i was like huh they just tell you how you know it like didn't make any sense and when you say it's not in your personality it's like i would replace that with it's not in your culture totally yeah we didn't grow up i mean actually when we were kids plants probably did talk to us Uh, all sorts of things talked to me when i was a kid but then you know society smacks that out of you pretty quick. Yeah. So yeah, it, is, it does feel like this, this opening up of, um, I mean, it is, it's just the natural world and it's a totally different framework or paradigm that, like you said, to experience everything as alive and moving through and for you. And I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's really only been in plant medicine ceremonies that I have been able to get past my mind enough that the plants could talk to me. And I had this beautiful experience earlier last year, early last year before the world went bananas, <laughs> that uh, lavender and rose both came into my consciousness and they were dancing all around me and rose was just moving all around my body. And they both were like, we're here. <laughs> they both just, I was just crying. I was like, oh my God, you guys have always been here. You're just here and I can just talk to you. And they were like, yeah, you can just talk. You can sing. You can walk in the, in the woods and just listen. And they basically said, you know, essentially they were just like, we're always here and that's why we're here. And we love talking with you. You've just never figured out how to listen. And I was just crying like, Oh my God, I don't know how to listen. (laughs) (laughs) But that was really transformational for me, just that, that experience because, and it, it happened, you know, while working with plants to open up even the possibility that this world could be for me too. And that I didn't have to be some ordained shaman from the Amazon to communicate with the plants. So I love your your story of the simplicity of it, and that they can come in as thoughts, and they can they can um, they can they're they're there they're there to talk and work with you. Our job is to figure out how to listen. Totally, and I love that you brought up Rose because I kind of dubbed Rose like the medicine of 2020 because. I know so many women who like from all different backgrounds and like ways of life and that I'm connected with in one way or another who have felt like such an incredible connection to Rose during the last year and its events. And um, 
including myself, Rose was always something that I thought was like for old ladies. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, but that's Hallmark shit. Totally, like, totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I didn't realize like the true heart opening spirit, spirit yeah. of Rose that's just so nurturing and incredibly loving. Um, and I think we all really needed somebody to like hold our hand and comfort us and just like really nourish our spirit over the last year as we've just watched our world just totally crumble around us. Um, and yeah, I just feel like I've known, I could name 10 off the top of my head right now who have been like, I just, you know, even if it's something as simple as like, oh, I just, you know, I got this rose body spray that I just can't stop smelling. And Mm -hmm. I've never liked that smell before Mm -hmm. to the more like, you know, I was, you know, been drinking rose tea every day and I just can't get enough of it. So Mm -hmm not even really on an art from a like experience of like herbalism, just pure connection with the plant. Well, and that's kind of what I've realized in the last couple of years is basically to stop overthinking it. It doesn't need to be some like giant thing, you know, just keeping roses in my line of sight, you know, just Mm -hmm. keeping roses around the house, like just really, really simple, keeping some, you know, flower essences or, or tinctures at my at my desk so that I'm just seeing them and that they're near me. Um, just having it be in my consciousness is it actually can be enough. And that totally overrides our intellect and and the like planner in us and the um yeah, but really, yeah, from from a spiritual perspective, it feels like those are all the blocks, actually. And when you take those layers away, it just existing in your home with you can actually be enough, air quotes, like what even is enough, right? Like mm-hmm. all it is is consciousness um, integration or consciousness. It's just awareness of these plants. And it's not to say that that's where it ends. It obviously can go way further and way deeper, but I've, I've kind of given myself the permission in the last year or so specifically to just let it be enough that I can just touch a plant or, or notice a plant or smell a plant and just sit in curiosity with that and allow it like the, the image I get is just letting it come into my space and that's it. I don't have to do anything else. I don't Mm -hmm. need to know the name of it. I don't need to know what properties it has. I don't need to go make a tea with it. I can just acknowledge it basically and open up to uh, the energetic integration of Mm -hmm. it and not get heady about it. And that for that for me has been the a huge shift in, um, yeah, basically just getting out of my head around it and more into a space of of curiosity and openness. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I've done plant circles before where we really just focus on like those energy dosing of plants. And like some of us won't even take a tincture the whole time. We'll just put a tincture on our bedside table or put a drop in our bath water and just kind of notice, like tune into what's going on at that time. And, you know, what are your dreams like? How's your, how's your spirit feel? You know, what did you feel as soon as you, as soon as you stepped in the bath, you know, like what, what were you feeling in your physical body? And then it's funny that we all have these same collective experiences that is like between all of us, there's been maybe like five drops of tincture (laughs) exchanged, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's really powerful. And it just shows like, I mean, our whole, the whole world like has a, such an obsession with like lavender and scent and you know what I mean? Like we're everyone's so drawn to lavender and it's like 
just simply smelling it, you get this like such deep sense of like calm and restoration and kind of tones our body down, which is like totally what everybody needs when we're in this like overstimulated go, mm-hmm. go, go mindset. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. It feels so different to just, yeah, be in a space of openness or curiosity versus seeking and knowledge and plan. And I think I I had created, and I'm sure some of you listening will relate to this. I'd created this wall between me and plants. That's like, well, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm just not a plant witch. I'm just, I'm some other type of witch. I don't know the names of everything and I'm not drawn to make potions. And, and I, I really have explored that story I've made up in the last, yeah, couple of years. And, and it's been so helpful to just take the story away and just be open with no plan. Like I don't need to make potions. I can literally just look at a rose and that could be, that could be something I allow in without any, uh, like getting from point A to B, you know? Yeah. It feels so different and it feels so much more female. Honestly, it feels so much more present and, um, honest in a way and, and moving out of the head and into the, the, the whole, you know, spiritual framework, I guess, really, um, which, which I think so much of your course and, and what we like to talk about and do with women, you know, is to explore this concept of what, what is a witch and, and why does that word matter so much? And, um, obviously, you know, I, I, I trust many of you know the the just crazy patriarchal um, villainizing, you know, of the witch and why it does feel so important to reclaim this word and own this world in a culture where uh, we're unlikely, I'm going to say, to be murdered for it this time. You know, I'd say we're pretty unlikely. Um, and so to to reclaim this relationship with plants and to birth and to sisterhood and circles and, you know, all the stuff that we're all doing, um, plants are a huge part of it. You know, it makes me think of something we do in our school is we we do this elder exercise where the women all explore who they are in their elderhood and unilaterally when they all share it, every single one of the, of the women always have included a relationship to plants and gardening. And it really stands out to me because women pretty much always say the same stuff. <laughs> it's all a little bit different, but it's pretty much, I'm living on land. I'm a community midwife of my village. I'm a medicine woman. I'm a plant witch. I'm with the garden. I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm love and, and admired, you know, essentially. And it's like, oh, right. Yeah. Because you feel it in your bones to be the medicine woman. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't need to overcomplicate it, which is why this whole course is so exciting for me because you have started the, um, the beginning steps towards reclaiming this relationship with plants just through herbal basics and, um, I'm just gonna, yeah, I have your course listed right here in front of me. Herbal basics, building immunity, illness and symptoms, physical injuries, um, nervines and nervines. How do you say it? Um, either nervines. one. I say nervines, okay. but I hear a nervine a lot too. Nervines and emotional support, vitamins and supplements, and and more. So these are like just such beautiful and important. <sighs> basic so that we don't have to feel insecure mm-hmm. and we don't have to run to the pediatrician in that that moment you spoke of of this this confidence where you watched your daughter be healed through um your intuitively guided you know uh connection to to using this this um garlic ear oil it's mm-hmm. just such a 
an important piece, you know, that we all, I think, are really seeking in our motherhood. Well, and everything that you just said, it's like, talk about like the witch wound. This is a perfect example of how like herbalism was taken from us. Like herbalism was the, the, was a foundation for women and people of color to help heal their communities. And at some point, a group of old white men got together and decided that you have to have a college degree in order to practice this type of, any type of what they would call healing. And the only people who could go to college were white men with money. And that systemically eliminated all positions of healing from anybody else. And now we feel like we have to have a certification or we have to be an expert in order to have a connection. And that's just not true. This is our birthright. And you don't have to be an expert. And you don't have to know every single fucking disclaimer and property of a plant to have a relationship with it and to use it to heal your family. And And to go even a step further, we we have become afraid of plants. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Like walking through the the forest, you know, this idea of wildcrafting or foraging. I mean, I will admit, like, it scares me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I haven't opened up the relationship to it yet where I feel like I know enough intuitively, energetically, spiritually, and, and intellectually to wildcraft, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to create things, to forage from, from my land, even though I know it's quite abundant, there is a, a thing I want to name because I've, I've unraveled so much of this with, with mothering and, and with my birth also, there, there's still, I can find the strings where I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing to admit, but like the system did not grow this for me and approve it and wrap (laughs) it up at a grocery store. You know, like there is a trust in that, that I go to a grocery store. I know they're not going to, well, this is hysterical. I'm going to be totally hypocritical here that they're not going to sell me something poisonous. Of course they're selling stuff that's poisonous. (laughs) Fucking red number five or whatever in terms of produce specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, organic, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it's it's kind of, right? That's kind of the whole joke of this whole thing because they are selling poisonous Mm -hmm. stuff. They are selling... Uh, fucking roundup produce. And so this is the the whole journey back to, um, yeah, reclaiming our own food, healing our witch wound, owning, you know, taking back ownership of, of our relationship to food, medicine, plants, the whole shebang. But yeah, I just want to name that. that it is, it is like... It's intimidating. I, yeah, I do feel fear around like messing it up. Which is funny because I've walked your land and like I could easily with it a six foot radius of me named like five medicinal plants everywhere we went. <laughs> wow. Well, I've heard that about the Appalachian Mountains, that this is one of the most heavily densed places for foraging for, for foods and medicinal mm-hmm. herbs in the entire world mm-hmm. because of how old these plant these mountains are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a couple interviews um, with some wild women and healers that in the course where they talk about their relationship to foraging and like how they got started. And they all, they both, one of them that I'm thinking of specifically, Chelsea, she's newer to this type of life as well. And, um, she said the first, she bought some land with her family and they've lived on it for a while. And she's never thought to really explore it until she's kind of started dabbling 
as a healer. And she said she just walked outside in her backyard and saw one plant that she'd seen every day. And she just had this thought in her mind, like, oh, that's chickweed. Like, I, I know that plant, even though she never, you know what I mean? And now like, it's one of her favorite plants in terms of medicine. And she works with it all the time. And it was just like being out there being out or with like intention that changed the whole energy of everything. Yeah. I just had some friends visiting us and, and they were foraging some cedar mm. or collecting some cedar and they came in and made a cedar tea and she offered me a sip of it. And my, my first reaction was like, no, like that's (laughs) not going to taste good. I don't know what it was. It was just an initial, I was like, no, I'm not going to just like drink something from what you just like picked off my land. It was so (laughs) weird to notice it. I was like, no. And then they were like, are you sure? It's like really good for you. And, and so I, I took a sip and I was like, this is so good. And I, I notice in myself, yeah, where, where my allegiance to, these systems that have separated me from the natural world still lie. Totally. Yeah. I remember the first time I tasted pine needles was literally probably like a year ago. And it was just this whole... It's so funny too, because you know pine needles are one of the richest sources of vitamin C out there. And they're, they grow... They're at their most medicinal during a time when we can't get any other form of the vitamin C when it's freaking cold out, you know? Mm. And you know, at the start of, you know, when people were coming over to America, people were dying of scurvy, literally under a pine tree. (laughs) Oh my God. And like scurvy, this, you know, the source of scurvy is a lack of vitamin C. And they literally died in the shadow of a plant that had so much vitamin C, like had the power to heal them, you know? And I just think it's so funny and ironic. Um, But yeah. And like the the flavor of like pine needles or like cedar, or it's just so incredible and complex. And it's something that where I live, we all have at least one in our backyard, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, wow. So tell us more about your, your mothering journey with a, with a kiddo that was often, was often sick. And then, you know, we're kind of going back to this point where you have the ear infection healing and take us into, I really wanted you to share the concussion story because yeah, again, you've just had so many um, scary experiences with your daughter that have opened you up to deeper realms of healing. Yeah. Um, So after the ear infection, um, probably like two or three months later, she had her first fever, um, which every mom knows like the first fever, the first real big fever is so scary. Um, and at this point I was a member of the Freeber Society membership. And there was another woman at the time, Amelia, who she's also interviewed in my course as well. And we talk about this a little bit more, but her son was going through his first fever too. And I think it was like that whole week, the whole membership was collectively like, we were all just like sharing this Uh holding space for us, checking in and sharing stories and offering support. And And a bunch of kids had fevers. Yeah. It was weird. It was like a lot of moms around the world writing in about that. Totally. And I mean, that thread is still 
hold up to this day, um, which is so funny, those two fever threads, um, Mm -hmm. because they're so old and buried in the membership. But um, it was just, and it just really made me realize the value of being held in a space where your autonomy is evident. And also you ha- you're like upheld by this community with a shared value system but as you, because mm-hmm. if I had asked for support in any of those other realms that I mentioned where I was previously um, asking for support, like it was a really vulnerable time for me. And I could have ended up t- potentially feeling pressured to, you know, make choices that I necessarily wouldn't have felt otherwise wanting to do. Um, And so that was just a really transformative experience for me, like being able to kind of shaman my daughter through this, um, this fever and just really lean in and embrace, um, this process that like, and this idea that this fever is there to support her and Mm. to help her. And she's going to come out on the other side of it more resilient. And actually, um, that all these women in the membership, their children were having fevers at the same time and they were all around the same age. And we all had the same experience where within a few days of their fever, they all had these huge mental leaps where they were like speaking in full sentences or doing crazy movement that they hadn't done before, um, which just fur- further proves that theory to me. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? That we're all living all over the world and having mm-hmm. the same collective experience. But um, so that fever was a really transformative moment. And then probably about six months later, my daughter had a really simple fall. Um, she's hit her, like, obviously, like all kids do. They, she's hit her head a million bajillion times in all the ways possible. And um, this one, you know, we were just walking down the hallway. We have kind of like a really hard concrete hallway that's covered by just like a really thin slab of carpet. And, um, she was pulling on something like kind of like a tug of war and lost her grip and fell back and hit her head and immediately vomited, which is nothing new. She's thrown up after she's hit her head before just once. And I know that that's a variation of normal for her to throw up after a normal head hitting. Like that's just what happens for her. Um, but it kept happening and I started to feel like at this point, I, I was, you know, and even if it wasn't just a concussion, like all the hospital is going to tell me is like, okay, monitor her. Right. And so like, Uh I can do that at home. And I've made that choice to do before this experience. But when you're monitoring her, what are you looking for? You're looking for excessive vomiting. And so I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel like this is kind of a situation that I might want to rely on the medical system for. So I texted, um, my friend, the pediatrician. And I said, Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think? And she goes, yeah. She's like, I think I would, if it was my child, I would, I would take her in too. And I said, okay. Like I was like, you know, super nervous. This was my, all this trauma response in my body, like immediately in fight or flight thinking of like having to go think Um, in my mind, I'm going to the battlefield. I'm taking my injured daughter to the battlefield. Right. Um, are they going to want to do something with con- CT with contrast? Like, what are they going to want to do? What am I going to have to fight against? You know, how mm-hmm. am I supposed to advocate for us? Um, but you're going in to check for brain bleed, essentially. Exactly. And I'm like, this is something that I decided, like, we're going to look for. And um, we go in and, I mean, the whole process was pretty fine and easy. And they did a, they did a scan and we went to the children's hospital, which by the way, I think I'll never do again, like, because it was like full of 
so many sick, vomiting children. And then we were like a trauma case. So I was like, okay, next time we're just going to go to a regular emergency room where like Mm -hmm. adults have broken bones. But, you know, we were at a children's emergency room and, um, so they were really, you know, we did the CT and they were able to, I was like stood there with her and held her hand the whole time. And my daughter was super calm and relaxed. And, um, the one thing that was so funny to me was at the end, they had said like, okay, she just has to eat this popsicle and then you guys can go. And it was like a bright red, like (sighs) popsicle. And I just looked at them and I was like, she's not going to eat that. And they were like, what? And I was like, if she's if she's ready, because they had t- asked me not to feed her, not to nurse her for a while because she uh-huh. kept puking. Um, and so they said they wanted to see if I didn't nurse her, if she would not puke. And then if she hadn't puked for 30 minutes, then they would say that like the vomiting was like, she wasn't like, I don't know. Anyway, so I was like, I'm not giving her that popsicle. We don't eat, we don't eat red dye. Um, <laughs> and I was like, so I'm going to nurse her. And she goes, okay, well, I have to just go make sure that's okay with the doctor. And I said, okay, you go oh do that. God. And while you're gone, I'm going to nurse my daughter. And she goes, well, we've just never had anybody decline a popsicle before. <laughs> um, but it was just this moment where I was like, I just felt so like, I just felt so in control, right? Uh-huh. Because I was aware and I knew and like, we go home and I, the thing that I really, I, I really appreciated was I knew because this was new for me, I knew from like a medical perspective what to expect because I said, okay, like she does have a concussion. She doesn't have a brain bleed. She's going to be really tired for a while. Um, so I knew that that was normal. She affects, she essentially slept for like the next 72 hours and I just held space for that. Um, um. But what they didn't tell me, which I think is really funny and what I was able to use my skills as a healer for um, is about like post-concussion syndrome and how after the concussion, mm-hmm. after those initial 72 hours, you can have a lot of issues over the next six months or more, um, mm. just regulating sleep, irritability, right, you know, mood, just all these different things because your brain's essentially been damaged, right? So nobody... I just thought it was so ironic that nobody warned me about this. But so I kind of developed my own concussion protocol that I used on her to help heal her brain. And I share that in the course too. Um, but like, you know, just relying on, you know, the the plants and supplements that I knew to be helpful and supportive to brain tissue. And I mean, she was, she's, she's great, you know? Wow. So... And you've used, so many women have benefited from your experience now. I mean, obviously more will with this course, but women in our community. Um, and I, I feel I feel so, so bad for Luna that she had to be our little <laughs> guinea pig. But, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is how it happens. And like you spoke about the community aspect, being able to share this, this knowledge and this wisdom coming through you of these Oh, just gut-wrenching experiences is so huge. It's so important. Yeah. <sighs> but were there other stories you wanted to share? Um, so recently, within the last year, things have kind of slowed down in terms of like my daughter's no longer a walking guinea, guinea pig. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think part of that is just like my confidence level in like how you know, um, in terms of things just aren't as much of a big deal anymore. I'm more, I'm less of a new mom and I'm more of a, 
more experienced, but also, um, we had a really, a really intense journey together, um, last February. So actually this actually, as I'm realizing it today is the one year anniversary. We flew home on this day. So, so funny that we're doing it today, um, that we're recording the podcast, but, um, we went to the Middle East as a family on a trip with some friends and I had been working with a flower essence pre- prior to this that was supposed to um, ghost pipe flower essence, which is just a really intense like shadow work, ancestral healing, like opening all the dark corners in your body to kind of help promote that like internal spiritual healing. Um, and I hadn't really noticed much from it. And I was started really experiencing deep levels of anxiety before we went on this trip. And I really couldn't figure it out. And I didn't associate it with the essence at all. And um, I mean, even to the point where I started having these weird, anytime my daughter would cry, I'd start having these weird, like, I don't know, like visions or like flashbacks of like me being this woman, like in essentially a cell having to hear my baby cry from another place. Oh my God. Um, It was super dark. Like it was a really dark couple of weeks. And I was like, I thought I was having premonitions. Like I was like, are we going to go on this trip? And I'm like, Luna and I are going to get kidnapped and separated. Like what is happening? Um, And like in, I was having dreams about this woman, like literally planning, like, and this is something like that, like, I couldn't tell anybody when this was happening because it sounds fucking insane. But I'm like, this woman was literally saying like, okay, these men are going to bring my baby to me so I can nurse her. I have to kill her to protect her. <laughs> like, how am I going to do that? And it was so dark and I was so freaked out. And I was telling my husband about it. And he's like, do you want to cancel the trip? Like, we can cancel it. Like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Um essentially I was like, okay. And then somehow I was like, oh my God, I'm taking that essence. Stop taking it right now. Which is another example of how like powerful, just such subtle energy medicine could be from a plant. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped taking it. Everything backed off. I was like, okay, I feel good to go. Like it was just some weird, like, you know, whatever. And then we, we fly to the UAE and like the minute we get there, I feel like we step off the plane and I have this like feeling in my body. Like I've been here before. I know like this is a home to me. And within five, six hours of being there, my daughter got a fever, the highest fever she's ever had. And it lasted like five days of her. She slept for five days straight, didn't wake up. And I spent our almost our entire trip in our hotel room nursing her and holding space for her and um it she woke up the day that we left perfectly fine wide awake for the 14-hour flight home (laughs) um 100% better and if I hadn't had all of my prior collective experiences from the, cause she was just about to turn two at this point from the last two years, like being in another country with a sick child was so terrifying. And I had mm-hmm. such a, like, there would have been the capacity for trauma 
could have been so big. Um, and I was just able to confidently hold space in such a powerful way. Like we had a few friends with us and all of our friends were like, I can't believe, or, you know, I was checking in with some other friends out of town, you know, back home. And they were like, I can't believe you're doing this right now. (laughs) Like, How are you doing this? How are you not freaking out? And I'm like, I'm, it's Mm. fine. We're fine. This is what we need to do. And it was, I look back on it now, like it's so fondly and so beautiful. Like that, like I love that trip because we literally never left (laughs) the hotel, but it was just like what we needed. And then a few days later I started processing and I'm like, that, like, that was like a close for us. Like that was a big, like there, we had karma there. You know what I mean? Like something with like the visions I was having and the flashbacks I was having and like the feeling that I felt when my feet were like on the ground in that place. And my daughter's obviously really inherent reaction to being there in her body. Like there was something there that we needed to heal and like we did it and it felt so good. Hmm. You know, it just felt so like real and she really hasn't been sick since then. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's big, man. Yeah. So I have, I have no doubt in my mind that like, this is our, this was our journey together. Like we were put, I was put on this world today in this time to be her mom. And she was here to be my daughter because we had something that we had to play out. Mm, Yeah, of course. Where I had to be there for her in a way I wasn't able to before at some point. Or she for you. I mean, who Mm -hmm. knows? And it makes me wonder too, like, how does that, I mean, all of us, I mean, how does that stuff play into our, into our mothering journey and the choices we make as parents without, you know, just subconsciously, you know, mm-hmm. totally. like we're all navigating metaphorical sovereignty in one way or another. And like, what's the reason for that really deep reason for that? Like what makes us different than the other people who don't want to take that path? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, the spiritual path, consciousness mm-hmm. raising. Yeah. Beautiful. That's an awesome story to end on. Mm -hmm. So anything that you want to offer before we close about the course specifically? Um, I mean, I just, I just want to say that, you know, I created this course because, you know, it's the course I wish I could have had to help support. Um, And when I first started, and I see this all the time in the membership, women saying my baby has their first, you know, cold fever, whatever, like, what do I do? And I think it's just really valuable information to have for that extension of sovereignty beyond pregnancy and birth. And um, it's also got some really beautiful story medicine with these interviews that I've interviewed all these different women who have had these really big healing experiences, um, women who I look up to in my community as healers and moms. And, um, there's a lot of magic and healing just in listening to those stories as well. So. Beautiful. Thank you so much. The website is live and ready to to be digested and gotten and celebrated. It is freebirthsocietycourses.com slash wildmother. It is a just beautiful offering. I'm really proud to be 
selling this under this umbrella. And thank you, Ariel. Thank you for all your wisdom and all your hard work on this course so that all of us can be further initiated into, into plant medicine. Thank you. Thank you so much for holding this space and this container to share my story and bring this out to the world. Love you. Love you too. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shyla Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly.